No, good morning. My name is Chris Payne. I'm the lead pastor here at City Life. So thankful to have you. Thankful to have you guys online. In fact, I meet people almost every Sunday. I say, we've watched you online. We just moved uh, to Houston because Houston is the place to be, right? We want more traffic. Come on, come to Houston. It's really exciting. Uh, and uh, we're happy that people are finding us online, coming and joining us in one of our services. So we're thankful that you're here today. Hey, today we have a special treat because we are starting a brand new series. We finished our recalled series, being coming back to our purpose and going in for these next three weeks with a focus series on generations. If you've noticed even the theme, the idea of something beyond us, something more than just me. And I don't know about you, but I'm passionate about something beyond myself, beyond even my kids and their kids of leaving a legacy because this life is like a vapor, scripture says. It's like a wind. It just comes and goes. And yet we can transcend just what we bring to the table individualistically in what God wants to do through his kingdom and through us into generations and generations. It's so exciting. This series, we're starting today with the idea of believe. Next week, we're going to talk about be love. And then the following week, be life in the city as we're going to share where we've been and where we're going as a church today. I don't know if any of you grew up playing uh, any kind of team sport. Anybody? Team sports? Yeah? Enjoy team sports. Some of you are just golfers uh, or tennis players maybe, which is great. That's good. It's a sport. Team sports. One of the greatest team sports is football. American football specifically. Soccer too, yes. But in football, you cannot be an individual alone. You have to think about yourself as a team. In fact, some of the worst people in sports, even coaches, are ones that individualistically just point out the one person with a lot of talent or try to get that one player. And one player can help, but without blocking, without passing, without defense, without special teams, you are not going to fully win. You might win a game. You might have some good chance, but you are not going to end the goal that you want and go where you want to go ultimately. It takes a team, absolute team effort. For me, growing up, I remember I was doing Pop Warner football. I started when I was about 10 years old, about fourth grade. The first time I, I tried a little earlier, Eric, but when I put the helmet on and I couldn't get it off, I was like, I'm out. I'm done. Like I was, I think, eight or nine. And my dad was like, come on, toughen up. And I was like, no, I'm good. This is not for me. God is for me. This is not for me. And uh, But then I started playing fifth grade before I got into uh, junior high and playing there. And we had this team called the Tiger Cats. We couldn't pick pick a name, so we were both, Tiger and Cats. And in this Pop Warner team, we were pretty good, and we ended up getting this guy that came in from out of town. He wasn't at the first few practices, then he came and joined our team, and he was amazing. I mean, this kid, like out of the womb, six-packs abs. I mean, when we ended up in junior high, literally his first time he bench pressed, max bench press, when he was 12 years old, 185 pounds. Just nothing. I mean, we, I was like, this is not fair. This is stupid. And so, of course, he was our middle linebacker, our running back. He played special teams. Every once in a while, he would throw the ball. And everything was around him, but we couldn't win as many games because the coach really tried to build around him, but in football, 
you need a team effort. Because in fact, the more individualistic our coach got about him, the more it separated the rest of the players to say, I ain't blocking for that. And it's interesting in a team mindset, if you have the right coach, the right person that can inspire you to believe something beyond yourself, not just in yourself, but what the team can do in a team effort, it makes all the difference in the world. Fast forward to my ninth grade year, I had coaches, multiple coaches with our special teams, associate, uh, uh, assistant coach, excuse me, and our main coach. Listen, they were incredible because not only would they say, go lift weights, let's get in the weight room, but they would start lifting with us. And then they would have us run and they would run with us and lead the way, a few of them, not all of them. But it developed this like team mentality that we are in this together. And they didn't show favoritism over just the few athletes that were really good. They recognized we've got to elevate everybody in order to go where we want to go. And maybe you think of good coaches, bad coaches that you've had, but the goal of a coach is to get the team to believe. Believe that we can rise above, believe that we can do something that should be impossible. In fact, if you're familiar with the show, Ted Lasso, it's a really interesting show. We got some really big fans over here in this side of the room. Uh, Ted Lasso is a great, it's a really good show. And it's about a guy who was a college head football coach who got moved to London or England area in order to be a soccer coach. And he's never coached soccer before. And it's interesting here. He knows nothing about soccer, but he knows how to coach players up, bring them together, make them a team. And he has this picture on the wall, believe it's where this came from. Uh, believe we can, we can do this. We can be more. And they had a lot of people that were individualistic and just focused on them and everybody deferred to them or was mad at them. And he brought and slowly part of it is bringing the team together to believe. Now, scripture talks a lot about believing, talks a lot about faith. And it brought me to this scripture in Mark chapter 9. If you'll open your Bibles with me or check out the screen. Mark chapter 9. To set this up, Jesus, Peter, James, and John have literally just had the most ultimate mountaintop experience with God. Jesus was transfigured and he was, it said his, his clothing was as white as snow and he was just this beautiful person. And it's like he showed the fullness of who he was. And Peter, James, and John are there and they don't even know what to say. They're wanting to set up memorials and all this kind of stuff. And then they come down the mountain and there is this scene and gathering of all the rest of the disciples happening. And this is where we jump into the story, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. So they just came up this mountaintop, go, oh God, wow, Jesus, this is who he truly is. I know who God is. And all of a sudden there's arguing and bickering and complaining off the mountain. And it says this, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. 
So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I love the humanity part of Jesus here. If you've ever been in a workplace, team project, trying to do something, and people aren't coming along with you, you see Jesus' frustrations. How long must I be here? How long do I have to put up with this? I love that part because I can relate. If you're a parent, you can relate a little bit maybe. Uh, if, if you're an employer or employee, you can relate with Jesus and the exhaustion and finally bring him to me. And the frustration is that they weren't able to do all the things they've seen Jesus do. They couldn't continue to do it as well. There was an expectation for them to be able to really follow him fully. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, him being Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice Jesus' response, verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him in private, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We look at Jesus talking to someone about believing. And depending on if you've been at church a long time, maybe you've believed for something, maybe apart from church, you're just trying to believe God or believe for the best, and life hits and it didn't happen. Maybe even you've had people come alongside you and just say, you don't have enough faith, you're not good enough, and it did not encourage you very much. It frustrated you. When Jesus is talking about belief, he's not just talking about believing in oneself. He's talking about the object of your belief, the direction of your belief, and what God can do versus just what you can do. Stepping out beyond what you can do into what God can do. And all of a sudden, the glass ceiling shatters. The lid comes off. And how many of us need the lid to come off for our belief to work? We need to think more than what we're able or even what we think God is able into this all things are possible mentality. But there's danger in it and it's scary because maybe you've tried that before and you failed miserably. Here's the deal. Within this word believe, 
you have to be able to sift through, check out this word believe, you have to be able to sift through the lies in the belief. Lie is in the very middle of belief. And, and, and here's the deal. In order to believe what God has for you, you have to be able to distinctly understand the difference between half-truths and God's truth. In today's culture, there's, there's sayings where we talk about my truth. Truth is merely what is real to me, the reality. And my truth can become the full truth. But often that is a lie and it actually brings great limitation to what you are able to do, especially when your eyes are on God. In what way, you might ask. My truth is only a partial truth. It's a hint of truth. It's a half truth. Yes, there's reality of what you see in front of you, but it is not full truth. There are lies hidden within what you believe about yourself. Culture wants you to believe one thing, that if you've come from this kind of family, or you look like this, or you have this socioeconomic status, or you have this color, or this creed, that you are not good enough. That is a lie, even though it's a partial truth, that you are that, that you have that culture. For me, I've found that there's power in facing my truth and comparing it and adding to it God's truth to get me to believe and get past the impartial truths that are lies. For instance, I think about my legacy, my parents. My mom got raped at 14 Pregnant at 15, had my sister two years later, had me, had a gun to her head from our alcoholic father, threatening to kill her. She ends up getting married to my dad. My dad adopts my sister. They have me, and we are raised with kids raising kids, 17-year-old kids raising kids, no money, apartment to apartment, trying to make things work, end up in great debt. 14 years later, they're divorced. It is a mess. When I'm ninth grade, 10th grade, excuse me, I'm talking my mom out of suicide as she's preparing to take a lot of pills when I come home from school. This is my life, and the world would say, you don't have the legacy of generations that other people have. And let me tell you, that's a partial truth. There's truth to that. I am behind the game compared to people with good homes, with good retirement plans, with college plans. I was way behind. And yet the beauty of the gospel is it's only a half truth and it doesn't define fully who I am and what I believe about myself because God is a redeeming God and what he can do far surpasses what I believe I can do or society tells me I can do. It's a partial truth. And when the gospel enters in, it's like those things aren't holding me down anymore. They are now foundations to build me to where God wants to take me, where he gets the glory. But see, the world says those are your excuses. That's your truth. And it becomes a thing to keep you down and put a lid on you. And Jesus comes in and says, if God can, if I can, all things are possible. Now, that's not to stand up and receive your car today. That's not the prosperity gospel. But let me tell you, it's also not the poverty gospel, which is the other extreme. 
It is a gospel that doesn't fix my eyes fully on my truth, but looks at the greatest, the truth that supersedes my truth and sifts through the lies of the enemy. Reality, what's real, is what God says. But we have to believe. We have to believe him and believe ultimately that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We are not defined by our trauma alone. It is a part of us, but it's not the fullness of who you are. And we need that message today. So here's the deal. What keeps us from believing? I'm going to give you three things really quick. Number one, I think lies that keep us from believing, that have partial truth, which is why it's, it's hard. Like if I said, I, I rode a pink elephant to church today, went down 288, and it dropped me off right here in the pulpit I'm preaching to you, you'd go, you're an idiot. I'm out of this church. Where's Joel Osteen? Where is he? Like this is what you would do. Because it's an obvious lie. But see, the enemy hides hints of truth in lies to make it not so obvious. This is why we have to go to Christ. What are some of those lies? Here's a lie. If I try, I will fail. It's a partial truth. Why? Because you probably have failure in your life. You did try and you failed. But do you believe that's the full truth? What, what's the truth scripturally? The truth is not trying is failing. Failing is actually a part of growing. The worst people are the ones that hide. In fact, Proverbs twenty two thirteen says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the street. There's always an excuse as to why there might actually be a lion. But you are called to be a lion tamer. Maybe you're called, like Samson, to rip it apart or like David to grab it by its mane, kill it, and then worship the Lord in an ephod. I mean, this is the word of God. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I've tried before and I can't. And just because that reality is true doesn't mean it is ultimate truth. And maybe reframing it to Not trying is failing. Not trying and stepping out in that relationship. Not trying and stepping out with your husband or wife to say, I'm going to start complimenting them. I'm going to start believing the best. And and all of a sudden, they don't receive it and it doesn't work out. You know, the, the, the greatest stories in Scripture, we don't talk about that much. Like, we talk about Moses and how he, how he did all these amazing things for God. And we like, oh, look at this. I wish I could see just the Red Sea pass and part and all that. But you know, when he first started, it didn't go well. He first started, he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And in fact, he then put more hardship on the people to where the people are coming against Moses and going, hey, dude, uh, this is not working. Not only are we not out of here like you promised, but we have more work to do. It got worse. And if you've ever stepped out with God and it got worse, you're in really good company. But you're growing because the full truth is God will never leave you nor forsake you. That failure even in this life is not failure in eternity. That God has something for you, and it's the risk of getting out there and trusting him and believing him as a good coach that has us on his team, that he's going to lead us into good things, even if in the immediate it doesn't work. Don't put the lid on of belief 
because you've had a hard time, because you trusted that person and they rejected you and hurt you. Man, you're in good company with a Jesus who is naked, ashamed on a cross while everyone left him. And yet, it led to his resurrection. What can it lead for you if we face that half-truth? Here's another lie or half-truth. God can't use me because I'm not like them. It's this comparisonism. I don't have their gift or their ability, and so it becomes an excuse. And let me tell you, it might be true. Maybe you're not as smart as that person, but you have a gift that they don't have. You have a part to play that they don't have, and the comparisonism is always divisive, whereas complimenting and thinking of being complimentary is inclusive, is they have their part, I have my part. I'm not envying their part, even though there's truth that they're better at that than me, but why do I want to be like them? I was born an original. Why why should I die a copy? God has his fingerprint on you something for you to do. So it's a half-truth, and the truth is we all have a part to play in the kingdom of God. And, and I dare say, coming from a God who is king and comes down, born in Nazareth of all places, in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth of all, all places, podunk, country town, with not much. He wasn't raised in Jerusalem at the temple. He's raised outside. That that kind of God will actually elevate people that have the lowest things that the world calls successful. He doesn't show favoritism. In fact, I think there's going to be more people with rewards that had super low status in this life that gave their life to God and did their, did, did their call with all of their might. They're going to have more rewards in heaven than some people that we considered the greatest. Comparisonism is dangerous. It's divisive. The last one. If I give my time, my treasure, my talent, I will not have enough left over for myself. The truth. There's more than enough to go around. And when you actually start to believe that there's more than enough, it actually creates opportunity for God to display generosity in your life. When we hoard it and we go, there's not enough, and let me tell you, even Eric said it earlier, like get on your phone, look at the news, the tragedy all over the world can be suffocating. But the goal of it is to have you be so afraid that you don't do anything and just think of me, myself, and mine, and even just my family. But Jesus would say, if you love those who love you, how are you better than the pagans? You have to actually expand the lid and love those who even hate you, who even persecute you. No, see, I don't have because my fear is holding me in. I actually don't have the power to be able to look beyond myself because I'm afraid. And it doesn't help when the preacher comes on the TV and gives you all the reasons why Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Let me tell you, if Jesus is coming back tomorrow, we don't stock up, hoard up, get our basement bunker down. He wants to see if we are vigilant. Are we still going? Am I planning for the generation and the generation and the generation? No, no, see, I'm just thinking about me and I'm just gonna be me and our church is just, we're waiting on Jesus, come save us. And that's not what the Bible says. It says be vigilant, not impotent. 
You go forward. We push. We don't know what's going to happen. And in fact, when you're worried so much about that, you're not living today with what God told you to do today. So what do we do? I don't want to bring kids into this world. Really? What if you're wrong? And we need the next generation. What if you believe the lie? I don't have enough. No, see, God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And we fight and we are vigilant and we go forward preparing for the generations after the next generation. We don't hoard. We don't hold in. We continue to give and believe because that's who our God is. I want to show you a video showing a little bit about where we've been and where we're going as a church as we are heading into this generation's campaign to raise money to gather capital in order to be able to do what we feel like God's calling us to do. And it's about the people that we can reach, not the property, not the place. It's about the opportunity that we have as we look up and start to believe that our coach has us playing as a team and many hands make a light load. I want to inspire you, but also hopefully inform you about where we've been and where we're going as a church. So check out this video now. You know, we've often said about the story of city life that you just can't make this stuff up. And it's true. Like all of your favorite stories, it's one of triumph and tragedy, mountains and valleys, giants to conquer, and the hand of God's grace on it all through a people that have moved forward with incredible resilience, determination, and most of all faith that God had and still has great plans for city life. Thinking back to early 2010, Casey and I went through a church planner's assessment center and began to ask God where he would want us to plant our lives. At the very same time, hours away here in Houston, there was an amazing group of people that had been through years of challenges, loss, leadership, and building transitions. They were meeting in Edwards Cinema, where the current pastor had recently resigned, and they found themselves with no leader and a dwindling community. The outlook was bleak, but Scott and Cindy Fiddler, along with a remnant of faithful leaders, stepped up to rally the church to keep the faith that God was not done with city life yet. So they raised money to pay off debt, and they believed for a pastor that had the same vision and passion to move the church into the future. We accepted an invitation to visit and see if we might be a good fit. It's really hard to explain, but the moment our feet stepped onto Houston soil, we immediately fell in love with the city. It kind of felt like coming home, although we'd never been there. Then, as we met the tremendous people at City Life and heard the incredible story of what they had been through, we were even more amazed. The fact that they pressed on week after week without a pastor, held services, loved on people and continued to make disciples confirmed in our hearts 
that these were indeed the kind of people we wanted to build something with. And fortunately for us, the feeling was mutual. Here we were, courageous group of people, not knowing if there would be a church to move forward with tomorrow, and me and my wife not knowing if we had what it took to help move it forward. And we walked into this unknown future together in June of 2010. Statistically speaking, we were looking at about a 2% chance of even making it given our circumstances. I wouldn't exactly call that winning odds, but none of that matters when God is the one writing the story. We went through the church planting trials of the theater forgetting about us and beginning movies in the middle of the service, broken elevators trapping our volunteers for hours and much more. We saw people come to know Jesus and come into community, but we knew pretty quickly that we needed a permanent home. After years of searching, losing buildings and fighting not to lose our hope, God brought us to our current building on Grand Boulevard in a very miraculous and providential way. And yet, what was supposed to be a four-month build-out turned into almost two years of battles to occupy what was already ours. Permit issues, our architects suddenly passing, and finally Hurricane Harvey caused delay after delay. We once again pressed on through those challenging days resolute in our passion to make disciples and serve our city. And in the fall of 2017, we finally settled into our current home with such joy in our hearts, we could barely contain it. In the years since, we have been through tremendous growth and incredible losses, lives being changed and transformed, and God has been with us every step of the way. And we all know what's happened in the last couple of years. We've navigated our way through a global pandemic and an ever-changing landscape, highly charged with social, racial, political tension. In the midst of this, we've grown stronger. We've fought for community together despite the world that wants to separate and divide. We have pressed on to be Christ-centered and not me-centered, to be spirit-empowered and not culturally swayed, and to be socially responsible and not overly individualistic. If we had not dug our hills into our mission and what unites us most, the gospel of Jesus and the passion to advance his kingdom, we would be like many others who have left the faith or lost hope altogether. As seen through the history of the church, we pressed on through the challenges, believing God has a calling and a purpose for this house. Pre-pandemic in 2019, we were growing at such a pace it was hard to fit everyone, especially kids in cars. We were running three services and bumping 600 with about 100 kids on Sunday. With that happening, we began to make calls around the area to see if there was any land for sale. The problem was not only that we were growing, but this area was growing. Condominiums and apartments were already buying the land around us. We ended up speaking to our neighbors about purchasing the building adjacent to us, and they were somewhat interested. When the world shut down, we obviously put on the brakes and began to pivot what we were doing. But God had other plans. The owner ended up coming back to us at the end of 2020. We settled on a great price that was below market value and bought the building that I'm standing in now. 
Can we just take a minute and praise God that in the midst of a world turned upside down, He allowed us to gain a building and take ground. Ever since, we have spent much time in prayer and in discussion on the plan for the land. This past October, we spent three days with an architectural company called Building God's Way to help us imagine what the future could look like. We started by sharing our passion to have a facility that will be used throughout the week and not just sitting until the weekend. This has been our desire all along. God personally dropped in my heart these words, bless the city and fund the mission. When we shared this with BGW, who works with many churches around the nation, they shared with us a potential partnership that might fit this vision and introduced us to Lionheart. Lionheart is a nonprofit Christian organization committed to excellence in early childhood education. They are passionate about equipping kids to be world changers and supporting working parents who need quality, affordable childcare and education for their children. They have partnered with many churches around the nation to reach families and build godly foundation in kids. For us, we have always valued and cherished kids, not just tolerated them. Not only could this be a tremendous way to be a blessing to the city, it is a way to fund the mission. After reaching out and meeting with Lionheart, they sent a preliminary study of about a six minute radius of our church location and found it to be viable. Our hearts have definitely aligned through a mutual mission and vision, and it feels extremely providential. The leadership of our church and Building God's Way are all in agreement that this is what's next for city life through God's leading and guiding. After all these years, the pages of the next chapter, City Life lay before us with promise and potential. The dream of being a light to our city, families, and students in the facility beyond one day a week is quickly becoming a reality. The future of city life starts now. Meet the next generation of City Life Houston. This vision for the future will unfold in two phases. The first phase, We'll be building out the childcare facility that will double as our kids space on Sundays. This will be a transformation of this current building you're seeing now. Beginning here is strategic for multiple reasons. One of which is the fact that City Kids is still growing and the need for a new facility to house our amazing kids on Sundays is urgent. Beginning here will also allow us to begin to generate revenue through the Lionheart Academy, which will help fund our next building phase and raise money for our future church plants. Begin believing and praying with me now that many, many families would be impacted and brought to Christ and community through this facility and this program. We truly believe this is one of the ways we will reach and bless the city. We have received an estimate of about $2.1 million for this first phase. We have spoken with building campaign professionals and they've told us that this is very doable with our size church and our current budget from what they've experienced over the years. Once phase one is complete, we will move onto the expansion and construction of a brand new 500 seat auditorium and a large lobby with a coffee house to facilitate 
more opportunities to create community and bless our surrounding area. Can you imagine with me the college students gathering to hang out, do homework, or have Bible study? What about the life-changing conversations where God moves over a cup of coffee? Think about parents being able to drop off their kids at Lionheart, come next door to get some caffeine. I'm overwhelmed with joy, the very thought of some of these opportunities that we believe God will bring us. This is no small vision, but we believe that God calls us to the kinds of dreams that require great faith and reaching outside what we think we can do on our own, because it's never been about us. In fact, the story of City Life has rarely, if ever, unfolded the way we thought it would have gone or in our perfect timing. But it has also been more beautiful than we could have ever even imagined. And his track record of faithfulness is perfect. Why would we doubt he could do it now? Whether you've been at City Life for two months, two years, or 12 years, there's never been a better time to buckle up, join us on this adventure of faith, and put yourself in the pages of this incredible story. To launch us into the future, we are beginning a campaign that we're calling Generations. If you read in Psalm 145, it says this, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. For us, it's always been about the next generation of children, students, and leaders. This is not only for us today though, this is also for those to come for many, many years. As you take your part of ownership in this vision, we're asking you to pray and commit financially to see this dream become reality for all of us. Through your part, my part, our part, and of course, by the grace of God, we will build something that will outlast us all. The legacy of making Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible disciples will move forward, and it will be in Houston as it is in heaven. The best is yet to come. I can see it, family. The question is, will you see it with me? The story of what God has done in this church, how can you not believe and trust? And you're a part of that, whether you're new or you've been around a while. I love seeing the faces, especially the kids. You see the beautiful diversity. And a lot of those kids we've watched grow up into now they're helping and doing different things. My own children, watching them grow up and helping do worship and do different. It's just so amazing to watch the generations and the legacy that we're trying to establish. But it takes work, it takes time, and I'd say it takes everybody. As we read in the video, Psalm 145, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. I want to invite you, we have these little pledge cards that give you on the 
the side that's, that's black with the white text, it kind of gives a potential, a chart. It's just a, just a guide, an idea as we're going into a two-year campaign and believing God to provide through us, through everybody. We're, we're asking, listen, we'd never been a church that's like we have a couple millionaires or, uh, you know, a Texans football player that provides all of our needs. It's always been many hands make a light load. All of us do our part. And this is what I'm believing. No matter if you're able to give a lot or a little or a little bit around the next two years, that every person, everybody online here will at least give something in order that all of us are a part of this including myself, me and my wife, praying, what, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Because we know we've got to lead the charge. And I'm with you if you've got a house you just bought or a new job. And I've got a kid going to college. I mean, college is expensive. I get it. But for us, it's what can we do together? This isn't Chris Pate's vision. This isn't our elders' vision. This is our vision of what God wants to do with the people for the following generation. So our belief and our prayer is 100% participation. 100% participation. And I know a two-year pledge can be daunting. Many of you don't even like a two-year contract at AT&T. I get it. I get it. But we do want to start with big faith. And I want to ask you, you could, if you know what you want to do or you have an idea, man, fill it out and you can turn it in at City Life Central in the back on your way out. And we've got a free gift. If you give a one-time gift of $25 or make a pledge We've got a free gift we want to give to you to say thank you and honor you. All you have to do is go out this lobby, turn in your pledge card. A lot of you, though, I don't want to see them today. I want you to do three things. I want you to pray. I want you to go home. If you're single, pray about this. Be serious about it. God, what do you want to do beyond me? What do you want me to be a part of beyond me? I pay Apple TV. I pay Netflix. I pay these. Great. What can I invest in beyond me? And I want you to pray and I want you to ask God, not giving under compulsion, but cheerfully giving God, here's what I want to do. And I want you to commit. Maybe you need to get with your spouse, pray, ask, and commit. That's what we're asking you to do. And you will have these cards. You could come, turn it in, gift, and we will keep up, let you guys know what we're doing as we continue to march forward over the next few weeks. I'm super excited. Next week, as you come back, my beautiful, amazing, awesome wife will be up here talking about being love in our city, in our community, and the people of God, and what we can do as we believe. In the meantime, I want to ask you to pray with me. Father, I thank you, God, for the opportunity that we get to step into a realm of belief to watch you do what you do. Lord, to, to shift our satellite dish to the All Things Are Possible network, God, and ask you to use us and move forward. God, not putting a lid on you or on what you want to do through us as a people, God. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name.